The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here he is, Brandon. Welcome back to the Brandon Peter Show and another installment already in the beloved products of the Panic series, which of course means my brother and Satan from the Indiana chapter of our Dark Lord, Troy Brownfield from the Saturday Evening Post, is here to celebrate. Hail the Dark One. How are you doing, Brandon? Not too bad. Uh, today we take a look at the 1995 HBO original film, Indictment. The McMartin trial. Uh, right. So, hope everybody had a had a happy Halloween. Did you have a happy Halloween, Troy? That's a good one. I did. It was a rather diffuse Halloween because um, our oldest Connor is off at college, and Kyle was working at the movie theater, and so Becky and I um, hung out for a little while and gave candy to the kids until we were like, "Holy shit, this is cold!" <laughs> it snowed. It yeah. snowed for a bit it, and it was snowed. I I um picked up some groceries yesterday and as I was opening the trunk of my car, snow started falling into it. Ooh. Indiana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> snow is falling. Before we get into things today with this uh television movie, back to television with Troy. 4K Blues Day segment here. We only got one announcement that uh came out. It wasn't an announcement, they were just rolling out the details for Shout Studios, which used to be Shout Factory, that's an official change here. I thought that was just their movie division where they made originals, but they are now officially Shout Studios. The Sonny Chiba Collection Volume 2 coming out November 14th. Uh, the films it includes are The Defense, Defensive Power of Aikido, uh, 13 Steps of Maki, Karate Warriors, The Great Okinawa Yakuza War, Karate for Life, Golgo 13, Assignment Kowloon, and then uh, the Okinawa War of Ten Years. So there are four discs, uh, includes uh, bonus features that are a trailer on Defensive Power of Aikido, Karate Warriors has a trailer, Uh, 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 the Okinawa War of Ten Years has a trailer, commentaries on Karate for Life and Karate Warriors, and then also a commentary on Gogo 13. So that's the Sony Chiba collection. Uh, they all have HD masters, mono sound, and this will be another lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with the other uh, Sony Chiba set from uh, last year. So was, that didn't well, that wasn't called Volume One. So who knew if a Volume Two was coming? But more of him coming from Shout Studios. So that's November 14th. Get your pre-orders in. And I'll have a review up for it, should they send it to me. Uh, but now, we're going to go to indictment, the McMartin trial. In the award-winning tradition of Stalin, barbarians at the gate, and the band played on. The next major movie event. Now, HBO Pictures puts the entire justice system on trial. 
Why am I here? I didn't do anything. The grand jury has also indicted the 76-year-old owner of the McMartin School, Virginia McMartin. Are you kidding with those glasses? You look like a child molester. Get rid of them or it's going to be a short trial. Feels like God is punishing me for something. You know what's basically at stake here? It's called the rule of law. Do you understand what these people did? Close as you're ever going to come to pure evil. You never think anything like this can happen to you. Let's be careful here or some innocent people will be hurt. In this country, if you're accused, you're guilty. Raymond Bucky has now spent five years in jail without bail. You're not going to have to talk to me, Ray. You're going to have to tell me everything. They hate me, Daddy. I'm like Freddy Krueger to these people. If you won't pursue this, we'll conduct our own investigation. I don't make the news. I just report it. How come everybody in America knows these people are guilty? Sit down or you will be cited for contempt. Put me in jail. These cases can be won if they're handled correctly. Your back is against the wall and you know it. What do you want me to do? I can't make things up. James Woods. George Freeman is the prosecution's super-duper whopper jump cheeseburger deluxe with extra special sauce mercedes rule don't turn away from the underlying truth and lolita davidovich you and the entire justice system are trying to silence them no one told you to defend the devil this case is why guys go to law school this case is about justice hbo pictures presents stop this right now indictment the mcmartin trial based on a true story Directed by Mick Jackson, he of L.A. Story, The Bodyguard, and Volcano, winds up doing a lot of TV um, in his career post-90s. Uh, written by Abby Myron, who wrote The the Detective with Frank Sinatra, which is actually somewhat the prequel to Die Hard. It's an odd, it's an odd thing. Uh, and he also created Kojak. Uh, he writes this with Mira Myron, uh, and then stars James Woods, Mercedes Ruel, uh, Lolita Davidovich, Seda Thompson, Henry Thomas, Shirley Knight, Allison Elliott, Mark Blum, Chelsea Field, Joe Erla, Miriam Flynn, uh, Miriam Flynn Valerie w- uh, Wildman, Nicolette Sheridan, and James Cromwell. Uh, lawyers and the media argue the alleged child abuse at the McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California. When the movie starts, it says this story happened in America in our times. Court transcripts and actual videotapes were among the sources used in telling the story. All right, so Troy, uh, you had you seen this one before? Yes, I had. Okay, when did did you it, watch it when it aired, or was it later yeah, on? Yeah, it was it was right around the time that it aired, <clears throat> and uh, you know we we've talked about this before, and. Uh, you know, anyone who's followed the products of the panic and, and even earlier knows that um, this whole thing is like a big hobby horse of mine. <laughs> so the satanic panic idea. But um, and we always mention one particular thing that ties in with it. But I felt like that based on tonight it, and for very particular reasons, it, <sighs> I needed to give some a quick background recap of it as the springboard into how McMartin happens. Yes. And, and there's like two things about it. And, um, if, if you know, you know, um, and if you know, now, you know, uh, if but you in 19, no, you know, um, in 1980, a book came out called Michelle remembers by Michelle Smith, not her real name. And Lawrence Pazder, P A Z D R. Related to and, Ad- Adrian um, Pazder? This purports to be <laughs> Michelle Smith's story of 
growing up in an atmosphere of satanic ritual abuse in Canada and uh, from the 50s to a certain point in which she escaped. Um, the whole thing turns on recovered memories. The through line of the book that she started seeing Pazder as a, uh, he was her psychiatrist in the 70s and he helps her recover um, these memories. Uh, the punchline is that there's no evidence presented in the book. None of the story is ever corroborated and it just, you know, fades from view the longer you look at it. But um, the real crux of it is that she alleged satanic ritual abuse by the Church of Satan specifically, beginning in 1954 when she was five years old, culminating in an 81-day ritual that summoned Satan in physical form. But thanks to the in-person intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and the Archangel Michael, she was saved, and all of the scars that she received and all the rest of the story she told were erased, and Jesus blocked her memories of what happened until, quote, the time was right, end quote. Um, ahead of its publication, the book was heavily serialized in the National Enquirer. They had excerpts in People. Um, the book earned for Pazder and Smith, who wrote it together, a $100,000 hardcover advance and a $242,000 paperback advance. Mm. Those who like to keep track, um, that's almost Stephen King numbers. He got uh, something on the order of 200000 <laughs> for Carrie's paperback rights. Uh, around the same time, Smith and Pastor both divorced their spouses and married one another. Huh. Um, by 1989, they guessed on Oprah, and she guests alongside uh, Laurel Rose Wilson, who wrote Satan's Underground, which mm. is a similar book that came out in 88. Oprah presents both interviews completely unchallenged, as if everything in both books is true. Wilson's not only was also made up, but um, she is a complete huckster and later tried to reinvent herself as a Holocaust survivor. The whole thing is that after this book comes out in 1980, Pazder and Smith kind of build a cottage industry of being professional witnesses and doing lectures on how to spot satanic ritual abuse. And they're actually involved in a case that happens just before McMartin. The first real case of this was in 1982, which is also in California, the Kern County abuse cases. And you never hear about this one as much. 36 people were convicted and spent some degree of time in jail. Uh, 34 of them got their convictions tossed on appeal. Two died in prison, so they never got a chance to Ooh. exonerate themselves. The whole thing started when one woman, a Marian Barber, uh, coached her step-grandkids to say that their parents had abused them. And then they convinced another couple of kids to testify that they had been abused by their parents. And it was like this sadistic game of telephone, in which all these people... Oh their kids turn on them and say that they're in a sex ring and everything of the 36 people are convicted um it turned out there was one guy that was actually guilty but not of what he was accused of he would turn out to be uh convicted <laughs> and go to jail later so but the, but of the 33 of the 34 who got their convictions overturned were exonerated and then the other two died in prison but that was in 1982 so this ball was rolling and already sparking other cases. So this is the 
world in which setting the stage for the first allegation, which happens in 1983 in Manhattan Beach, California, which Kern County, California, they're not terribly far away. This would have been big news, etc. So there's a setting of the scene. Gotcha. I have a, I have a quick question because it just came up the other night when we did uh, we did an Exorcist commentary. And I was like, you know, the exorcist probably helped push the satanic panic in an inadvertent way. Because that movie leads to, you know, it's popular. So then everybody tries to get on this, well, you know, made a lot of money. How do I make something like the exorcist? Which probably yeah. leads its way to the Amityville horror, which yeah. promote. So I'm like, and, pro- and exorcist probably gets people on this like religious kick too, because it spooks the shit out of so many people. And I'm like, huh. The Exorcist probably plants a seed there. and Yeah. Well, there's an interesting ping pong in 70s horror where there's a lot of Satan stuff. I mean, Satanic Rites of Dracula could only have been titled that in like 1973, you know. Right. Exorcist, Omen, um, the other things. But like you said, down to Amityville in 79, which mm-hmm. is very much, you know, Rod Steiger's The Priest and everything. But the Jay Anson book is bullshit, too. And it also involved the Warrens, who mm-hmm. were heavily figured again. It's interesting because the National Enquirer sold a shit ton of copies in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And they covered all this stuff like it was fact. They had Warren cases and many episodes and many issues. Mm-hmm. They had excerpts of Michelle Remembers and whatnot. I would be surprised the Enquirer played a big role right. in pushing that, too. Uh, plus, and then I've always said this, the proliferation of talk shows. Um, because they were all trying to out sensationalize each mm-hmm. other. They had that stuff, so you didn't have it so much. But by the time you got to the eighties, with the, you know, the televangelist thing, Reagan bringing in the moral majority, all the stuff we've covered before. But it was a perfect storm of this stuff that made the eighties kind of ripe for it. But yes, um, and leads to the, you know, the the crown jewel, uh trial of it uh the trial of the decade of uh, the mcmartin yeah. trial uh which uh you know brings us this movie um which i think is primarily told from the perspective of uh danny davis yeah because we start the movie kind of in 83 with some cops or somebody doing some investigate quick investigative stuff which we don't really hone in till james woods is watching it on tv <clears throat> yeah it's interesting too because if you're watching us talk about it now, 2023 James Woods is not the same cat that he was in the 80s and 90s. No, yeah, he is. He has fallen down a very particular rabbit hole. He would be on the accuser side, right? Today. That's that's where yeah, which is crazy. And I, you know, a person, the person is who the person is, but uh, he was one damn fine actor. Uh, back when yeah. he was there. Like I, you know, from Videodrome to, you know, here and many other things, he was, I, you Salvador. know, yeah, Salvador, like he, I would say like he was, he's kind of got that same, uh, you know, James Spader vibe, you know, what he was like, oh, he's a yeah. dick, but I kind of, he's kind of good at that dickish vibe. Yeah. And he played a lawyer <clears throat> in a uh, great movie called True Believer mm-hmm. as well. Um, the crusading lawyer type, which made me wonder if True Believer is what got him cast in this. Because mm. the, you know he's not. Too, I mean, he's a guy who's 
oh, he's done a good job of balancing uh, stuff for television and stuff for theaters because mm-hmm. a lot of people wouldn't do that. Uh, or if you went to television back at this time, it was like, oh, I, I don't, you know, it was like a sign that you were maybe on your next adventure and no longer doing theatrical. It was weird back then. You couldn't just yeah. jump back and forth. Um but yeah, in this one, he uh, he's doing this movie, and he goes and shoots a scene uh, in casino in the middle of shooting uh, this one during a, a break of his. Yeah, I feel like uh, Clooney started to kind of make it safe <clears throat> when he was on ER, and he jumped off to do the Peacemaker. It came back, mm-hmm. and the and for people who don't know, the Peacemaker with Nicole Kidman as opposed to. DC's the peacemaker. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Different, different thing. But, different but thing. yeah, like Brandon says, you know, you you left TV to do movies. You didn't come back mm-hmm. or stay. And Clooney was huge on ER, and he did the movie. And then he said, "Well, hey, we could do other movies." And he's like, "Well, I'm staying on ER for at least this long." And he did. And then mm-hmm. it started to kind of change. Yeah, but, and I see, like you know, like there's Zendaya does movies and. HBO shows and people yeah. do like because I you know there's a there's a prestige that comes with HBO and people starting to go to HBO and then like it's looking good and it's like that right around the turn of the 90s through the 00s things start to change with the outlook of doing television a lot yeah and and there are, there are a lot of familiar faces in in the movie um, Mercedes Rule who plays uh, mm-hmm. the uh, ADA whose name will lose me at the minute. But um, uh, Leo Rubin, Leo Rubin, that's it. And then Lolita Davidovich, who plays Fee McFarlane, she's in a ton of movies and TV movies at this point. And today, uh, never ever stopped working. She had a big arc in uh, Law and Order Organized Crime last year, but she'd also done SVU appearance. She's part of the Dick Wolf Repertory Company, you know, she'll jump in and out of shows but she also does movies and tv and other mm-hmm. capacity still she's very consistent it uh hasn't aged a whole hell of a lot either so yeah. <laughs> it's weird it's weird to see it's like oh shit i saw her like a year ago and she looked like two years older than when she was an indictment she doesn't change much but. right there's a this opening scene when they bust into ray bucky's house and you know most movies there's the the drug guy trying to flush the drugs down the toilet and he's trying to flush down a, a nude picture of an adult yeah a ripped up nude picture of an adult um kind of i kind of cracked up during that I'm like normally it's you're flushing coke yeah. down the toilet right and he's trying to but, flush a nude picture yeah and but it does it does go to a a very particularly weird 80s thing that the 80s were um, really freaked out about sexuality. Oh, porn was so weird. Playboy and yeah. porn, and it, it was all over the place. But you know, it was just, it was, it was just a very strange, and uh, just our uh, American puritanical stuff. This is the same environment, the same rough time period as, you know, the PMRC and the Filthy Fifteen, and you know how how dare Madonna look like she's touching her crotch <laughs> right you know it's weird with with porn in this era like through the 80s and the 90s the only person that was like for some reason okay to have it or was just like generally accepted was the heterosexual male married guy that had kids 
it's my dad's port. It's my dad's right. nudie mags. Like that was just generally accepted that that's a thing. And that, it, but it's like, yeah. Wouldn't it be better if this, it was like the single guy had it or something? You know, like, I, it's yeah. just funny that that's how culturally and pop culturally it was always like the married guy with kids. He's got the porn and that's fine. And the, the son steals it. You know, it, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, it's like that's what the culturally acceptable version. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I love Woods comes in when he meets Ray Bucky and he comes in hot with pop culture references. Like, and this is where he's like, I heard you got moved in the celebrity wing with Sean Penn and the Menendez brothers. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, all right. Um, and he's like, are you kidding with those glasses? You look like a child molester. He, he's doing that fast talking lawyer thing. Right. Know, yeah. Fast talking lawyer. But it, it feels like whether Davis was like it in real life or not, I don't know, but it, it feels like it's in service of the character arc that James Woods has to go on from I'm going to do this for money and attention to he really starts to believe that they are innocent and being railroaded. Mm -hmm. You you do see him play that progression. I don't know how much Davis is like that. Davis might have immediately said, Hey, this is bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When did the, when did the Menendez brothers murder their parents? Was it, was it like, it couldn't be mid eighties. Like I remember that was like a nineties trial. Who's like, whose rookie card is it? It's the Mark Mark Jackson's yeah. card. So it's gotta be later. It's gotta be Yeah, it's eighty nine. Why is that a reference in here? Because uh just like the music out of place in eighties movies. <laughs> right. they, they think nobody'll know. Or maybe yeah. it's a current reference. Yeah. I didn't think of that when I wrote that note down. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. But you, you know what I'm talking about with the basketball card, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that it's funny that the um the the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie and yeah. Fright Night <clears throat> 2 both have like rights issues because of the Menendez brothers murders like cuz like the dad was like some producer yeah. like and like that's why those are hard to find on home video typically and they had like the predator or the Punisher movie got like jack shit of a theatrical release yeah, and Tommy, uh, well, who was it? Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace that worked on Fright Night too, right? After because Holland, yep, yeah, 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 yep, yeah. It was he Tommy said Lee that Wallace. they had the meeting with uh, Menendez, and during the afternoon or whatnot, and it was that night that he got murdered. Oh, and about the Fright Night two release and everything they were they were working the shit out that was the problems, and then he got killed, so nobody knew that they nobody knew what was said in the conversation. Aside from you know, the guys that were in it, and nobody, they couldn't make a deal based on it. Oh man, yeah, you know, which is fucked up. It is, yeah. <laughs> so many levels. That's so insane. Um, this trial is also fucked up on so many levels. Um, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things that uh is interesting about this movie, and I like what they show is or especially early on is, you know, going through and uh, investigating the areas with which these children. So this, this movie is about children who have said that this, uh, is it uh, like a, uh, is it a preschool or is it just like a nerd? Daycare. daycare. It's a a daycare slash preschool. Yeah. It's a daycare has been molesting these kids. And, and so like, it's, it's a family run 
I mean, sorry, I didn't mean this. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. uh, But no, no, it it was really a family-run daycare, and the owner, why it's called McMartin, was Virginia McMartin, who was the mother of Peggy McMartin Bucky, also called Miss Peggy Mm -hmm. by the kids, and her two adult children, Ray Bucky and Peggy Ann Bucky, worked in the daycare as well. And then they had three other employees, Marianne Jackson, uh, Betty Rader, and Babat Spittler. And all seven of them would be indicted mm-hmm. and, and investigated this. So that's that's your <clears throat> frame. You have four families, uh, four family members, and then three employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, so. and so they go, and you know, it just goes and looks at the area, looks at which has been sort of ransacked the the school or the daycare a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like after the um, there's there's a initial accusation that's made by a woman named Judy Johnson, and she says that um, her son has been <coughs> molested by Ray Bucky. The cops interview the kid, <clears throat> and the kid tells some things that um, that alleged that he was molested by Ray Bucky, but he also said uh, some other strange stuff that uh, Miss Peggy also did, but Miss Peggy also drilled with a power drill uh, into a child's underarms, and also Ray can fly. And <laughs> the cops take this, not as strange or something they need to investigate further, but sort of at face value. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and then none of the the other stuff is crazy, but this must be true. It's just, oh well, he said this, so we need to. Yeah, and when the accusations are made, and people start to get arrested, the stuff starts to happen to the property. Yeah, well, and they go investigate it, and it's like he's like, they keep saying there's these closets. Where are the closets at that this is happening? And like, it's not, like not making sense. Which like, does anybody from like the police? check this out and like it's yeah and it's you know um how do i say this the the police really touch this off the police really fuck up here because when they Mm -hmm. interview the first kid they decide the best way to go about it to see if anyone else has any stories is to send a mail to 200 sets of parents and Mm -hmm. then the letter you can find the letter on online the text of the letter where they basically say, we're investigating this guy for molestation. Have any of your kids been molested? Then they should get interviewed. <laughs> 150 kids get interviewed at the uh, Children's Institute International. That place still exists. Now, it's it helps kids with a variety of things, and not all the stuff that they did was this. But Children's Institute International had an employee named Key McFarland who does either her assistant or her do all of these interviews with the 350 kids. And what they come back with is insane, horrific stories of abuse that involve, as Brandon was saying, kids being molested in closets, kids being molested in underground tunnels, taking field trips and hot air balloons where they're molested, taking the car wash, orgies in airports, uh, trips to Disney World. Which mm-hmm. you'd think the parents would notice if the kids were not at daycare when they went to pick them up, but rather right, right. World. But for an just an increasingly insane amount of of stuff. So we'll put a pin in that and come back to it. Yeah, so three hundred fifty kids 
Yeah, and there's this other location he checks out where it's like, uh, that'd be like it was like a shop, and it was like, like right across from the cash register where like plain view. He's like, and there's like a little door, like a little half door. Um, that they do that, and that yeah, the kid confessions they are like nonchalant, and they're like the stories have been remarkably consistent. Yeah, because when you teach someone to repeat something, that's uh they were, and they bug the cells, uh, listen through vents of the the people uh in their their prison cells but prison's awful in this movie they're going yeah. through an awful time um and uh they talk they show these videos of the kids with puppets and they talk about playing the naked movie star game which is that's got to be directly pulled from like that's so specific like that's got to be yeah from... yeah i mean <clears throat> so uh the keith mcfarland which is conducting the uh interviews she used um, the the dolls that the you know has, has you know joined to pop culture as the show me on the doll where right yeah you got hurt and uh, used the dolls, but also later uh, experts and prosecutors who would look at the videos would say that it's just insanely coercive and problematic the way in which mm-hmm. they did the questioning. And if you pull out clips in isolation, it makes it look like the kids are telling very convincing stories. But if you watch full-length things, frequently the kids are angry and pushing back that none of this happened, that they're being told, and that um, you know they're coercing them in the way that, uh, well, so-and-so said it happened. You don't want so-and-so to think that you aren't telling the truth and yep. things like that. They leaned on them and... Uh, really extracted all kinds of crazy shit from the kids to the point where hilariously when presented with pictures, one of the kids identifies Chuck Norris as one of the people yes. who was a, a molester, but the, this whole underground tunnel and um, it, all this stuff that on the face of it is just absolutely deranged and easily provable <clears throat> as wrong is somehow part of a widening <laughs> panic. You know, and when we mm-hmm. when we laugh, especially when I laugh, I'm not laughing mm-hmm. at the seriousness of the topic as a whole. I'm laughing at the fact that anyone thought any of this stuff was completely real from the outset. Right. The, the The burden of investigation should be that you sort through the facts. And if someone says there's tunnels under the school, the first thing you do is look for the tunnels. Yeah. You don't say... What? There, there's a Satan center underneath the pizza place. I better get a gun and go. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I don't say that. <laughs> that would never you, happen today's world. No, no, no never. Uh, no, like, uh, and the kids, the videos, they are only like, and much of it is watched out of context. Just it just hits the point they want it to, and that's it. And then it's not till toward the end of the trial that you get to see the full videos and that James Woods allowed to see the entirety of the videos, which also pulls out some racism yeah. in those. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's an insane amount of prosecutorial misconduct in mm-hmm. the trial. And th- this is in real life as well. Glenn Stevens, who was on the DA's team uh, did quit the team because he realized that the prosecution was deliberately withholding evidence and other information mm-hmm. from the defense. The most notable of which is that the marginal 
father, the original accuser, the accuser, Judy Johnson, was a also an alcoholic. And she would die from her alcoholism before the case actually went to trial. The pre-trial yeah. phase was the investigation was in 83, pre-trial phase was 84 to 86. The trial phase was 87 to 90. So she was dead in 86. And with the primary accuser dead and had the information been available to the defense discredited, then this whole thing would have folded like the house of cards it actually was. But they hid that. They mm-hmm. hid it from the play from that. And that's one of the reasons that Glenn Stevens ends up quitting and blowing the whistle sort of on a lot of the stuff that they're hiding evidence. They're not showing him the full tapes They're And it actually winnows a way for uh, Danny Davis woods to get access to some of this material. He's previously been denied, which, yeah. Well, and Lael's all like, oh, I don't need, I just need a smoking gun. It's out there. So it's like, it's basically the equivalent of like, find those votes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. basically what where they're at that point. And it's like earlier on in the trial where they're desperate for stuff. And um, I also find it interesting when this starts, there's nothing to do with Satanism till later on. It doesn't start as Satanism. Yeah. It's just yeah. molesting. It, it, it's, Yeah. When when the trial starts, the uh, the seven defendants between them were charged with an initial 115 counts of child abuse, which later inflates to 321 across 48 kids. And the uh, preliminary hearings lasted for 20 months, mm. which is <clears throat> insane and grueling. And, and these people have to sit in jail this entire time. Yeah, Ray Bucky in particular was denied bail. Uh, he's, he was in prison for five years without, um, not even with, not only not being convicted, but was never allowed bail for, for five years. He didn't get bail until deep into the trial when everything was already falling apart. Yeah. Like, yeah, they have to sit in jail during, and then, you know, his mom has to get a cavity search from Napoleon Dynamite's grandma. Yeah. Yeah, and, and early on, the um, the, there is the, the three employees kind of get kicked. They their mm-hmm. charges are dropped at a certain point, and then they focus on the family, and then they drop the charges against uh, Peggy Ann and the and the grandma, and just try to get Ray and his mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and and while the trial is still going on, Peggy Ann, um, who had her teaching credentials suspended because she was a licensed teacher. But since the charge got dropped, she got her credentials reinstated in 1989, and the judge in her in her hearing um, said that yeah, that trial, the, the other trial has no credible evidence, and the board of education affirmed the judge's statement and reinstated her her credentials. So mm-hmm. judges outside the trial that was going on were literally signing papers saying this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's no danger. She can teach. She's, that, that these charges are real. This is this is all crap. She can have her teaching license back. And um, yeah, it's it's massive. It, it's such a big miscarriage of justice that it's kind of awesome in the insanity of it. Yeah. That, well, it feels like the more outrageous the kids get, the more like, ooh, this is real. The people get. It's like, wait, what? This is yeah. 
Because they have that one kid that's like, he put his penis in my penis. And James was just like, the fuck did he just say penis in his penis? Like, and there's a kid who's obviously trying to get a rise out of people like his dick or boobs or puss. He would yeah. put his dick in her puss. He would cut the ears off of rabbits. They would wear devil suits, make us drink rabbit's blood. Like, and people are like, oh. And he looks like he's just like, this is fun. You know, yeah. this is a, this is a movie version, but but yeah, th- most of these things came right out of the transcripts, and there were yeah, it, this some of this stuff was breathlessly reported. And uh, speaking of reporters, Wayne Sachs, who wait for it, uh, he was the he was a news person from an affiliate. I think it was uh, KABC TV there in the Sacramento Manhattan Beach oh. area. Okay. Wayne Sats, who struck up a relationship with, wait for it, Key McFarlane from PII, oh. who conducted all those interviews. And in fact, Sats was the one who broke the story. So it's a very short line of how did he find this out to being the guy that was breathlessly reporting about the, the largest and most you know sensational details of this. And at the same time, hiding the fact that he and McFarlane were living together during the trial. Oh, so, you know, this is, this is also shown yes. in the movie, but this is happening across the, this arc of there really was a reporter really reporting, really banging the person that really did all the interviews with the kids and feeding details to the reporter. Which outrage equals ratings, but this is just the the worst stuff. And she's inflating the things that are happening. As Brandon said, the the more satanic and sensationalistic stuff starts to come from. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> when they had, I mean, I've got a lot of notes because this is it's insane. It just the yeah. levels they brought in our old friends Michelle Smith. And, you know, Pazder, who spoke with the kids to help prep them for their testimony. Uh, during the preliminary hearings, uh, Lael Rubin was responsible for bringing Smith and Pazder in. They met with the kids. And one of the things that Glenn Stevens alleged when he quit the case was that Pazder and Smith influenced these stories that the kids told. So as Brandon says, when they start out, they're simple molestation stories, but then they start to take on the character of batshit crazy Satan stuff that, again, goes back to the same kind of stuff that Smith and Pazder sold their book on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's almost, they it get so desperate that, like, it feels like if they could get Bucky for just jaywalking, they'd be happy. You know, they always, oh, because she's all about like one picture, just, it's got to fall out. He's got to talk to somebody in prison, but they keep, yeah, they keep building this up and they're trying to, I feel like, and they're doing the damage because they, I mean, they show in the end and throughout this movie, they're more so trying to influence the court of public opinion um, yeah. than they are the, the actual court. And that, like, if people thought, I, I wrote down that. We always we talk today a lot about the jury of social media on topics yeah. where all you need to be is accused, and 
you could be done. Innocent or not, uh-oh, it's there. You're done. And, you know, yes. that stigma and stuff has always kind of been a part of the social landscape, at least for America or United yeah. States of America, uh, because you can even go to trial, have a verdict, and people still don't buy it. They think they got, like, you know, like yeah. O.J. Simpson. <laughs> you want to talk yeah. about uh, how America feels, uh, the United States feels about him or the globe? Because he was not convicted there. Um, yeah. That's, but, you uh, know, which trial as a conversational phrase stuck around for a reason? Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's true. But yeah, yeah, no, like I, I was just talking about uh, Marvel, Jonathan Bajor's. He's not been tried. He's had accusations. There's a lot of stuff going around about him, but it's and Marvel's supposedly having to make decision. Like they, they don't. You don't get the opportunity to sit and wait to see the result of the trial. Yeah, and he's already even if he goes to trial, is innocent, acquitted, mistrial, something. It's already there. Like, and yeah. there's these. There's not. There's accusations, but there's the accounts. I'm not saying these people are lying or anything like that, but there can be cases where people are and you're already doomed. Like yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hence and- the McMartin trial. Uh, and what happens to these poor people who have to try to go back to a, a lifestyle of teaching children or watching children. <laughs> yeah. And one of the interesting things happens um, in 1986 uh, they get a new DA, just elections, et cetera. And Ira Reiner becomes a DA. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's the one who said that the evidence was, and I'm quoting, incredibly weak. And he's responsible for getting charges dropped against five of the people. Mm-hmm. His initial impulse is to kick all five. And everybody's like, we spent so much money trying to prosecute these people. He's like, well, fine. Try to try those two. But I'm not, you know, he wasn't really... Yeah hot box and he's like your idiots work for me so just, you know, <laughs> just okay fine you fin- finish your trial with those two but right yeah, i'm not not really a fan and, yeah. and it, it's this uh, 1987 brandon referenced it but there's a guy named george freeman that they put near bucky in jail to try to get him to inform and he talks a line of bullshit hilariously davis discovers the fact that this guy had previously perjured himself yeah they put this guy on there and just yeah and and he dismantles him and he asks would you believe you yeah <laughs> except through that effect what's the question would you <clears throat> would you trust your you as a witness and right the guy says no <laughs> no yeah like what in the hell is this this is allowed to happen and then like Right, like James Woods is like mistrial, and James Cromwell's like, no, can't all this for that. Like, yeah, if that, <laughs> it's insane. But then again, in the public opinion, the mistrial would be like, oh, they got away with it. You know, the mis yeah. the mistrial is the the worst outcome publicly, I guess. Like you know, because it's like, yeah, the killer got off because of. You know the the slight detail, or Leo Freddy Krueger <laughs> in this <Yeah>. trial. <laughs> That's... So, but the, uh, the the movie does a really good job of of re- relating everything in the proper order, integrating all the stuff. They mm-hmm. explore the Judy Johnson thing. They explore the fact that Judy Johnson died. 
they, mm-hmm. they get a lot of detail in for what's a fairly short film. No, and, it's over two hours. It's... Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it feels so much longer considering how goddamn long the trial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what could I? I mean, this this could have been a multi night miniseries thing, but they managed to get it, and I, I think in good fashion here in this in this yeah. trial. It doesn't drag. It doesn't. You know, and it feel you do feel the weight of how long it is. Besides yeah. dates being thrown at the bottom of the screen, right? So the first trial actually started July thirteenth, nineteen eighty seven, and then in January of nineteen ninety, uh, it goes to the jury, and the jury deliberates for nine fucking weeks. Can you imagine? Yeah, like that, that whole That's... thing. People watching breathlessly for a big trial. Now the people deliberate. You know two days and the audience starts to freak out. They deliberated for nine weeks. And um, then, uh, you know, that's, that's half a week shorter than Mickey Rourke was banging Kim Basinger. Miss um, Peggy was acquitted in original trial. Uh, the jury was deadlocked on Ray. And so they ordered a retrial and then the retrial immediately happened um may of 1990 to july of 1990 it was super fast because by this point davis has systematically destroyed all the stuff a lot of the things that were in the first one can't come back a lot of the parents won't make their kids testify again because these kids testified in person right the fact that this trial that makes it so that kids are later allowed to testify via closed circuit uh tv but the trial is really super fast and again it's a hung jury and then the DA says the case is closed. We're dismissing all charges and erase her five years without being convicted of Jack or shit. Yeah. So, but yeah, at the, at the, at the whistle, um, the case cost uh, Sacramento $15 million and Jeez. is one of, if not still the longest, most expensive criminal cases in the history of the United States. Um, a, a really crazy coda to that is the fact that eventually the uh, daycare was torn down and there was a concentrated effort with uh, ground penetrating radar and stuff to see if there's anything beneath it at all. And mm. no, they found some <laughs> earlier buildings that had been in the area that they built on top of it. So they found like a layer of sediment and then like some foundational bricks and stuff. And then there's like a hole that they realized was part of like a fire pit from another place, but nobody Mm -hmm. would be able to see it. It was under slab. And as they dug everything they found was sedimentary to the time period that it would have been covered. And that they found that would have been recent were like a couple of garbage bags or stuff like sandwich bags that they said, Oh, rats, probably just drug these in here because rats always drug shit mm-hmm. holes. But you know, they went, when they went down, it's like, Oh, this is stuff from the fifties. This is stuff. You know, there, there's, there's no, there's no network of tunnels. There's, there's nothing. It was, there, there was one guy um, that was trying to gen up stuff. There's see this hole. It's a tunnel. And they're like, that's a fire pit. Uh, that was, right. that was a basement <laughs> in, in the twenties. That was a basement. Right. <laughs> I also noticed they do the thing where uh, they had a guy on the stand or whatever he's talking, or no, he was, was he talking to the media or something? Uh, I forget what it was. He was like, when they were, I think when they were letting everybody but Bucky out of prison, 
And he's like, oh, I would never get in any, into any vigilante material, but I wouldn't want to be one of those people walking on the street, out walking on the streets. Yeah. Like, what are you suggesting people do to them then? Like, just, oof. Yeah. People, and this is very true today, in one particular case, people hate to admit that they've been taken. Especially people that are made to feel superior and smart for some reason for mm-hmm. being part of a thing. You know, they, they, uh, so these people were taken in by a cascading series of, of hucksters. Yep. Whether it's Smith and Pastor or whatever McFarlane was slinging. And, you know, they've got everybody riled up and convinced that this stuff happened. And, you know, my kids said it, et cetera. And at the end of the day, they will make up things to justify their actions <clears throat> yeah you see it with the mm-hmm. insurrection yeah the, the fucking rep- house representatives that one side is trying to pass a resolution saying january 6th was no big deal I yeah mean, like they're double down on stupid is what we've seen there are there's there are massive points of events happening where it's like okay now they can fucking this is the time, and they don't. They hang on for what reason? I don't know. Yeah, like their votes can't be that important, and they're that dumb. They'll vote for whatever. So, like, what's it matter if you condemn them or not? Yeah, and going back to our most recent other video, kind of a punchline of when they show the clips from real news programs and talk shows toward the end when they have the mm-hmm. scene for all those. Oh, shows. yep, Geraldo shows up. What went wrong? Like, well, it actually went right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. None of this happened. Dipshit. None of this happened. Um. Yeah, and I mean, once things take a sour note, when that there's there's a turning point where like I wrote that things go awry for the prosecution, and James Woods goes to eat because there's a point where things just click, and he goes to town in this movie, and we things started like. Progress, progress, progress to a point where I'm surprised when they come back with the deadlock on, on uh, Bucky. I'm like, oh, really? Like, who? Why would they? You know, they bring in that woman that's like, oh yeah, we had a relationship at one point, and she's too cool for the <laughs> yeah, prosecution. The, the pyramid thing. Yeah, the pyramid. Oh, and he wears the hat. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, sorry. Which, which is great. Which is, which is emblematic of. It does really make the prosecution look super silly. Yeah. With. And I, I've got what I'm sure was at the time uh, James Woods Emmy clip, which he's with the uncredited Nicolette Sheridan. She's not credited in this movie, and she's in like four scenes. Right. Uh, he goes, uh, James Woods says, how come everybody in America knows these people are guilty? But what about the facts? What about the fucking facts? I didn't grow up with the advantages you grew up with. I grew up in a slum where everybody called a spade a goddamn shovel. I'm not a club type of lawyer. I'm just a hack. And yeah. Maybe I'm part of what's fucking up the system because the system is fucked up and everybody should know about it. You know what's at stake here? It's called the rule of law, and I happen to like it. Good work. Boom. Nice reading. reading. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, there we go. That is meaty. That is, I got an audition and they want me to do a monologue. That's your true believer shit right there. Yes. Um, Yeah, it it is funny, though, with Nicolette Sheridan. She would have only been kind of known from Knott's Landing. Mm. at the time 
this is this is her branch branching out. Yeah, yeah, branching out, and she has her big comeback with Desperate Housewives the next decade. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's interesting though because um, it Woods really sells the the out the real outrage mm-hmm. of it, and uh, Henry Thomas is great in this too. As yeah. he is, he's very got- understated. <laughs> yeah. He's shell shocked. He's playing a guy that's perpetually in shock because he has no idea what's happened to him. Mm-hmm. Like, how did this happen? And, and there's a big thing, and it's really funny that the the undercurrent of sexism in this about the fact that they keep bringing up why would a man want to work with children, unless yeah. which which is kind of casting a pall on every male teacher. Yeah. Um. It, well, first of all, it was the family business, right? He he worked in the family business with his mom and his sister and his grandma. You wouldn't you wouldn't say it, had I gone into the business that my grandfather started, my dad worked for it, why would you want to work on air conditioners? Like, well, let me first tell you, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, no one would make that leap. They're trying to insinuate that male teacher equals something wrong. And male teacher works the small children. Wrong. Ma- the male nurse. Yeah, they're always uh, oh, there's, they're they're gay or a pedophile, something like you know. That's the yeah. uh, the accusation you get there. Which which has you know a lot to do with America's fucked up views of sexuality. Which ironically go back to our Puritan friends who were, you know, hanging people and putting them under rocks because they thought they were witches. Uh, it's. I, d- I don't make the stuff up, people. It just happened, and we pointed out. <laughs> right. Yes. No. We're going over. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is these these are our problems. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and the the film when when we do get Ray out of prison, um, there there's the scene where Danny takes a walk with the family, and you have bystander yell at them which is probably emblematic of how they lived their lives Mm -hmm. Um, ray and peggy ann do have some public appearances after this um and in a nice little bow they went to the uh salem reconciliation festival oh wow in the 2000s ray and peggy ann were uh among guests slash i don't know if i think peggy ann might have spoken but they were there because there was a, a event of wrongfully accused people. Oh, okay. Which trial. So they were at Salem for the, the wrongfully accused Ray over time uh, changed his name. I don't know if he legally changed his name or just assumed he's married. He has kids, but he, he went away because he wanted mm-hmm. to avoid the glare. I'm pretty sure Peggy Ann got Damn. married, had children, but She's done interviews over time, but Ray at a certain point said, you know, I'm out. <laughs> I can't handle the, you know, this being my whole life. I got to go away. Yeah. He was in jail for so long too. Like, it's just, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. But according to what I've read, he established something of a normal, quiet life somewhere else. And, but as normal, as quiet as you can get, but. Right. And living under a different name, I super don't blame him for, especially no. in the internet age. Um, in 2019, there was a documentary, a new documentary called Uncovered the McMartin Family Trials. 
and it's weird it's weird because it's got it it has a person in it that was a child and she resolutely refuses to be disabused of the notion that it happened she still believes that the stuff happened to Mm. her and her parents still believe that the stuff happened to her but they they go through all the trial they go through all the but it, the the documentary is weirdly non-committal as to what side it's on hmm. it was also produced by oxygen okay which <laughs> also happens to belong to the person who let those books be put on her talk show without question yeah so, you know, but I don't think it got widely seen. Um, mm. It was, I watched it. It was, I felt it was weird. It, I felt it should have been a lot more about, look at this fucking monstrous miscarriage of justice. And looking at the poor girl who still thinks it happened is like, look what they did to her. They programmed her. Right. When, when the, uh, um, airwaves and streaming are loaded with documentaries about cults like uh oh fuck the keep nice my sweet or whatever the one about the mormon families and then um about the uh jeffers jeffs roland jeffs and his all these people who have been brainwashed and programmed and whatnot that obviously there are lots of documentaries about this stuff happening. And then clearly this, this poor girl still believes this stuff that was obviously the result of the programming that they tried to instigate to all these children. Um, I feel bad for her. I feel really bad seeing like this really happened to me. Well, I'm sorry, but (laughs) all the evidence to the contrary, it really didn't. (laughs) You know, it's just no. I get it, you. It's sad. Yeah, no, there, there. I mean, many cases of groom, and when at such a young age, you can legit believe something happened to you. Yeah, take it with you. Um, that that happens. Um, this uh, this this movie was nominated for eight primetime Emmys. Um. When it came out, take took home three. Uh, it was nominated for outstanding achievement in casting, but the winner was a tie between ER and NYPD Blue. And then uh, directing, uh, it lost to The Burning, the Chico Mendez story. Uh, it was also a lead actor for James Woods, but the winner was Raul Julia from The Burning. Um, also nominated in that category were Charles S. Dutton for The Piano Lesson, John Goodman for Kingfish, A Story of Huey P. Long, and John Lithgow for My Brother's Keeper. Uh, supporting actress in a miniseries um, was Seda Thompson was, but the winner of that was actually from this movie was Shirley Knight, who tied with Judy Davis in Serving in Silence. And Sissy Spacek and Sonia Braga were also nominated that year for this. Uh, it was nominated for uh, writing for a miniseries special, 
uh, and the winner was serving in silence. It won editing for a miniseries. So Richard A. Harris didn't want to convince you know get people confused thinking Richard Harris, the actor, was right. You know, edit, sitting in an editing booth somewhere, cutting together this one because it was a real story that meant a lot to him. Uh, no, sitting in an editing booth, drunk. Yes, yeah, drunk. Uh, and it won made for television movie. Um, Oliver Stone, Janet Young, Abby Mann, and Diana Pacorne were the producers that took home the award with that, beating Citizen X, The Burning Season, the Chico Mendes story, Serving in Silence, the Margaret Camara, Camara Meyer story, and the piano lesson. I love how these old, um, a lot of these old TV movies are some title and colon the something something story. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that's that's a age old tradition of sure. something. It's like Firestorm, the so and so story. And the director directed some other uh, reality based fel- films for HBO, like Temple Grandin, mm-hmm. that um, you know won some awards a couple years ago. Um, who was it? Uh, why am I blinking? God, who played Temple Grandin? Brandon. Brandon. Temple Grandin. Karate Kid. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Hillary uh, Swank. <laughs> uh, oh, Hillary Swank. Okay. Yeah, she played Temple Grant. But yeah, that's, but this is the same director. So he had, kept, made kind of a pocket of these reality based dramas for HBO. Um, gotcha. Yeah, th- this is, I, I think that, first of all, it's, it's a well made film. It, it's got a point of view, it articulates it really well. Um, it is great casting. It, it's funny when you say Oliver Stone because God damn it, that guy knows a conspiracy when he sees one. Yes, he sure uh, does. He and Woods also work together, you know, in Salvador among other things, <clears throat> which is also a story about, you don't know what this shit is actually happening here. Um, which when you think about it is sort of Stone's entire over is, you know, That's, yeah. Good. And, Born on the 4th of July and Wall Street and everything. You, hey, you guys really don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm going to show you. <laughs> and he got hung with the thing with JFK. And he's got the the sense of humor to laugh at himself about it. Like if you, in uh, Dave, there's hmm. a scene of Oliver Stone talking. Yeah, 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 yep. President's been switched. Um, but that, he, he really, you could tell that this is the kind of story that attracts him. Miscarriage yeah. attracts stone mm-hmm. yeah. yeah this yeah it's 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 good that he wasn't on the other way of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. very yeah. good that he was on the side of logic here uh facts with everything but it was also woods him and woods kind of had a little bit of a thing there yeah together. well and i think that this this particular piece I think that all of the stuff that we've talked about panic wise is, is relevant to now for Mm -hmm. various reasons, but certainly the whole idea of McMartin is incredibly relevant to the origin of QAnon, which is we reference goes back to the pizza place thing and they're, they're molesting children and drinking the blood of the children underneath the pizza place, which like McMartin preschool was built on a slab Mm -hmm. basement. Um, so even when presented with that bit of like people will, will believe, and I, I think I've made this point before is Alan Moore, the famous comic book writer of Watchmen from hell, whatever mm-hmm. he, he, he's made this point 
where he says that you presented with a fantastical conspiracy that purports to explain things, uh, people will embrace that because the alternative and the truth, which is that nothing and no one is really in charge and it's all just random is, is horrifying. And it's much more comforting to think that somebody has a plan. Yeah. Well, so they, hor- horrifying and the truth is always boring. Yeah. Most of the time. Like it's, it's rarely the crazy stuff that you're thinking. And the, the people on this thing are also ones that, you know, use the term, uh, pushing the goalposts. That's what they do. They push them further back, further back. Oh, that was, well, this is going to happen. Cause every, everything. Oh, you remember, do you remember when Joe Biden was inaugurated and got arrested right there on the steps? That was, <laughs> I was stunned. I was stunned. No, because that was a big thing. Oh, and it was it was so funny to see the crazies when you see Facebooks and people like da da da, and then you see a comment from somebody. Oh, just wait till tomorrow. You're gonna see. I'm like, you're gonna see shit. Yeah, you're not like yeah. Trump's still president, but Joe Biden's doing the president's job. But he's he's not really president, but he's living in the White House. You know, the the president with complete dementia that is also this master criminal mastermind of the United States. Like, yeah, who's also hiding in a basement and yet was just in Israel and (laughs) Germany and all the places that he's been. Yeah, it's insane. What before the satanic panic? What was the? There's got to be just a a cycle of these things that happen every like. 40 years or so like what yeah the 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 moral panic of the 50s was juvenile delinquency that's what killed um ec comics was they had the trials the the wortham book seduction of the innocent Mm -hmm. caused people to freak out uh the other comic companies got together and threw ec to the wolves for their horror books uh they created the comics code authority ec you know the Gaines family said wait, let's do humor. And so they turned to mad. So they at least kind of gotcha. did that. So that became Mad magazine. And then um, the comics code was saddled with crap for years until Stan was going to tell the Harry Osborne drug story in amazing Spider-Man. And uh, the code said, we can't tell a story. He's like, it's a positive story. It's about the dangers of drugs. And so, well, you can't do that. And he's like, fine, I'll run the three issues without the code seal on it. And they went, oh. and <laughs> then they had to relax the code because Stan was about to kick it to the curb. And so they said, okay, fine, you can have zombies and stuff. And that's why all these 70s Marvel and DC books are like, fuck it, Ghost Rider, Tomb of Dracula. Oh, jeez. You know, because that's because they could get the monsters back. Yeah. And, but that, so that was the 60s was drugs. Counterculture. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, Manson. Seventies. <laughs> I don't know. Women working. <laughs> sure, what the moral. But the, I'd have to think about it. I mean, but, this this year Halloween, we just had the uh, fentanyl is going to be in candy. Um, oh yeah, I I posted I, about that. The, yeah, sure the, is, sure is, and it's at my house, so you don't want to come to my house. Thank you. <laughs> they're gonna give your kids their gummies no they're not <laughs> uh glass and smarties you know all that yeah and they never catch the people they can never convict them it doesn't yeah but there, there is one and i don't know if it was before the whole thing there was one guy that stuck shark objects into an apple but it mm-hmm. was someone in his own family yeah yep too 
but yeah, this this goes back to I think the chick tracks, right? Yep. The where they would talk about that and the the Reverend uh the Wakefield from Focus on the Family, the guy that would or no, Donald Donald Wakefield was the uh, anti-vaxxer guy. Donald Wildman. Donald Wildman was okay. whatever he was the whole uh Halloween's gateway to the devil and stuff. Cause I've seen a lot more of that crazy shit in the last couple of years about Halloween than mm-hmm. I have in a while. And yeah, that's a little troubling, but <laughs> it's you know, I don't think that they've actually harmed anything. It's still a billion multi-billion dollar holiday but yeah i think people still have i mean all you do when you do this is you scare a small percentage of kids and then you interest a larger percentage yeah yeah that was the the, anytime they they say don't do this don't do this and it's a horror thing or how i get more interested and i always have and most kids do most kids do when uh I can't remember if it was an MTV award or a Grammy, but when Aerosmith won an award for something associated with pump. Oh uh, yeah. Steven Tyler finished his speech by saying, and thank you to Tipper Gore and the PMRC for ensuring that every time you put a sticker on a record, we sell another million copies. Yep. Just laid it out. You've done nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel bad. I, I, I don't know that anyone's done any kind of comprehensive study on the kids that came out of this. If they had long-term scarring, if they long-term trauma, obviously the one young lady in the uh, documentary did, but Mm -hmm. did most kids go on to regular lives? Were they okay? Do they, yeah, that's true. Do they, have they blocked this out? Do they even think about it? I mean, do they know? I don't know that they, yeah. No. I mean, you had to be on a, a stand to say that you did such some crazy shit. Crazy shit. Yeah, and people they, saw you in the videos. Like, people saw those. Like, yeah. They'd be in their 40s. Yeah. They would be. They'd be, yeah. It, yeah. That that's that'd be something to do, like a documentary on revisiting yeah. those kids. See if they rem- what they remember, calling it like McMartin remembers. Yeah, instead of Michelle. But no, I'm I'm pretty sure that Virginia and Miss Peggy have passed. But like I said, Peggy Ann is, yeah, bent. She has commented to news and whatnot and at various points. But I, I it's. You wish that it weren't so present, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's when uh, you you talk about the opening of the film where it has the, the card about this happened in America. Um, mm-hmm. The undercurrent of that is this isn't supposed to happen in America. And the truth is not only does it, but it's got lots of chances of happening. Over yeah. Well, I mean, luckily the legal system prevailed, but it also showcased how flawed it is. And it, kind of squeaked by here um because this yeah. would never have gone on as long as it did the innocent man ray bucky like what a lost years and not like the lost years were like enjoyable you like were <laughs> away from everybody in a prison cell only allowed to come out for like sit on a 
in a courtroom. Like, what yeah. is that? You know, like that's yeah. yeah. And that. there were there were no reparations or anything. Their reputation was destroyed. Their business was literally destroyed. Mm-hmm. They. Well, they were trying to get him to settle on that lawsuit, and then he'd have to be a molester on paper to everybody. And he's like, no, what the fuck? Like, no. Hell no. And then James Woods comes around and is like, you know what? You're right. You're right. So, yeah. yeah. Now I've got to go kill vampires for John Garber. Yes. Yes. Yeah, a couple of years later, he'd be, he'd be killing some vamps there for John Carpenter. Um, and then later he would he would uh become a tra- he would, he would uh become a traitor yeah to the Louis United States with uh White House down on a different note um he had one of the great SNL hosting gigs of all time and he was the Dracula who's afraid to bite somebody in the age of AIDS oh yeah okay yeah, i remember that one tremendously underrated sketch but very timely and funny as shit yeah. Yeah, I was a I, you know James Woods the person now. It's just disappointing to me because I was always a fan of his work here as an yeah. actor. Um, always really liked it. And I I know it's funny when like people when someone like a James Woods turns out to go not crazy, but just take a stance on something I don't agree with and stuff. Like people, are like, oh, they weren't good anyway. What good do they do? They weren't that great. Like, shut up. You can appreciate the work that was there before. Like yeah, it's. Yeah, he went on to be like this, but man, that's a performance. It's a good, you know, he's a good actor, and like it sucks. But even though like it's it's odd, there he's like one of those where it's like what a shithead. But there are cracks there, like when California had fires, and he was doing actually a lot to assist people from where he was. Like, yeah, um, it's like okay, so there's there's a heart there. He's just politically just an asshole right now. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> right. That's uh, where it comes from. Like, and then there was a there, when they did uh, Shout Studios, when they released uh, Vampires on Blu-ray, they did an interview with him, and was watching him talk about film was just awesome. Like it was like I was like, man, it sucks that he's a shithead because I, he's really you know I'd never really I don't think I'd ever sit and listen talk about film and relation stuff and it's like, the fuck. Like, like it sucks. Like you're gonna leave this and then go post shit on X now, um, and make us all be like, "What an asshole!" Because I'm like, "There's something good in you, but like as a human being right now, you're failing." So yeah. But so where do you and, go from here, Brandon? <laughs> yeah. True. 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 So I'm now curious as to what the moral panic of the seventies uh, might've been if we yeah. had established it. And uh, the nineties was, was goth. I think it took a while to develop. Oh, the, goth. Yeah. 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 It was the Marilyn Manson, um, goth, uh, Columbine trench coats. Um, yeah. Maybe also heroin. <laughs> and yeah, her- grunge, grunge, um, heroin. Yeah. It's a it's a weird hodgepodge of just I don't understand kids that aren't being the popular ones, you know. That's the that's the that's the thing there. I I don't understand them. The nineties moral panic represents the fragmentation of culture. There was no uber culture anymore because of uh, cable and music and everything breaking up the way that it did, which has only been exacerbated by 
Oh, it, maybe music and everything. Maybe it was yeah, it was the the movies influencing people or some music and movies influencing. Yeah. Cuz like cuz I you know in Scream 2 the the motives given and and he's like, "Oh, it's he gives a bullshit one like I'm going to blame this cuz there will be a trial." It's like that's you know why they call stupid on the you know the other characters call stupid on them like ah, it's believable in the 90s that that would yeah. be a thing cuz they and it feels like in the 90s the media was hungry for that and wanted to exacerbate what they could and they were contributing to the problem as they contribute today in many ways yeah but, yeah but yeah so yeah so that's the mcmartin uh indictment the which we left out the mcmartin port of the geraldo video where he just interviewed people from the mcmartin thing going oh the trial's going good right now like that's i'm surprised they, they should have included like geraldo wants to do so in this movie they should have included yeah being part of that yeah that that's kind of the that's kind of crazy that that they're interviewing the parents as it was happening that trial was still in 88 on. and it's only got a couple years left of it still but yeah, yeah. And, and 90 90 was significant too not just as you know the beginning of the 90s the end of the decade but a lot of the satanic panic stuff flamed out around this time because the heavy metal suicide trials had ended as well and yeah so a lot of the stuff it felt like it was coming to a close yeah, it's still like elements of it rolled on, but the, the big stuff was wrapping up almost on schedule. <laughs> right. Yeah. Folding in. Folding in. But yeah, this is a big one. I think we ta- when, the, when we first talked about like even back, I think back in the Cult Cinema Cavalcade days, we talked yeah. about this movie had come up. So. Yeah, this this trial is it's it's monolithic. It's, it's hard to, to think about if you didn't live through the same period, but it was one of those things that was on the news every night for years. Yeah. I don't remember distinctively that this trial, like I was, I was in my single digits during the entirety of the eighties from, uh, but like the whole thing about kids and Satan and like, it was, it was sort of there with me. And then when talking about that, like going back, I'm like, okay, that, that was what, what it was that was there. And yeah. So, I remember it in part because you know it was it was making the the waves on the news, but it was also around the same time as mazes and monsters and not being allowed to play D and D at school. Yeah, does or you know, I was privy to and Tipper Gore and all this stuff that was that was happening. The people freaking out about Madonna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a song called Sex Shooter. You know that kind of thing. It was just. It was it was all kind of rolling around at the same time. People yeah. were freaked out by. I, it, it is kind of funny because I knew people who were really freaked out by just the very existence of MTV. That kids would sit and watch music videos for long periods of time. Right. You just sitting and watching it. It's a, how is that any different than laying and listening to the radio? Yeah, you get visuals listening with listening to it. the radio is fine, but watching the music on TV is not. I I do not understand. Yeah. But, yeah, well, it's funny because on one episode of this uh, show before, we talked about how uh, the rise of Garth Brooks to like absolute mega stardom could be attributed to Madonna because when you when she makes the turn that makes older people feel uncomfortable, what do they go to? Garth Brooks, country. Like that's wherever, whenever country hits a high, gets a, a boost something's happening that there's a change in music that makes people feel uncomfortable or like 
that they're, it's not what they remember anymore. And the, 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 the us white folk fall back on country or that find country at that time well, because it's safer. You know, that that would have been concurrent with the the real explosion in hip-hop and W.A. and everything. Cause Garth yeah. Brooks, well, uh, yeah, because there's nowhere to turn that looks comfortable until – and then there's country. The dance – is 1990 so no mm-hmm. fences is what it, it's it's all happening at the same time that yeah as the sounds came to changing the the acts that replace each other at number one this is the wrong order but the the albums that replace each other at number one are guns and roses usual illusion one and two uh michael jackson's dangerous garth brooks uh no fences i think it's either no fences or open the wind but i think it's no fences and uh never never mind mm-hmm these albums and there's a boys to men record in there too, but they concurrently they're, they're number one right after another, uh, which shows the massive fracture in what people are buying mm-hmm. this metal. You got this new shit. You got country. You got you know, they're all, it, variety. It, we don't want that. Yeah. But it is emblematic of, of the fracturing of, of the audience, which right the cable choices and everything. Now it's even, you you could have entire conversations about TV shows that people have never heard of or seen that are on broadcast TV Mm -hmm. because they don't watch broadcast TV necessarily. The kids might watch a streaming show, but they also might spend more of their time on TikTok or YouTube. They might not watch any of that. They might watch euphoria, but they might not watch, you know, they sure as hell aren't watching procedurals on cbs yeah <laughs> nope the, the, that audience is scattered forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah which, which i think becomes back to something that was in the news uh today um which which makes a a marvel or something still kind of amazing that it can mm-hmm. bring so many audience quadrants together even if it's not quite as big in some films that is as it is in others that's still a pretty amazing achievement to get that many asses and seats oh yeah five nights at freddy's is another great example because there are a lot of people have asked me in the past couple of days what's that what is that even they're like well it's a video game it's mm-hmm. been around for a long fucking time <laughs> right i knew i knew it like it, like i had for like i just talked about it on a podcast oh it's not out yet as of recording but um because they're, they came to me like, wait, what, it's going to do this much? I'm like, yeah, it's going to do that much. You realize how, like, they're at the perfect point to capitalize on five. Like, there couldn't be a better time than that movie because it's still popular. And the people who grew up with it are now, like, teens that can go out by themselves on a Friday night to go see it or in college and could go see it. And it's, like, a and little... it's PG-13. It's PG-13. It's a little dip past. Like, it's perfect. Like, it... It's quality of the movie aside, like that it did it. Like it hit and I I, I talked about I saw that movie in a theater. It took my son, his friend, and my daughter to it. And that movie was louder than a freaking Avengers movie on opening night. I couldn't believe it. And there are like cheering at stuff. I felt like the old man who had no idea what was going on. I should have listened to my son when he just rambled off stuff about that game and I was like, <laughs> Okay, kid. Uh because they're they're they had like they were cheering at stuff. I'm like, what's going on right now? Like, what is it? Like, yeah. And then the whole movie's like that Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood point. Yes. The whole movie. I'm like, oh. 
And I'm just like, wow, I enjoyed I was so happy. Like, I'm uh, on the movie, but I love that experience. And I didn't even get all of it, but I'm like, that these people well, are that plugged in to this right now. This is why we go to the movies. This is what makes it exciting. There's something that magical there that they did. Yeah, the- it, it's when, when we went and saw, when, when we were kids and we went to see, you know, Friday the 13th in the theater or something, like uh, a movie from the series. We knew it wasn't necessarily going to be the greatest thing, but we we knew Jason was going to kill the hell out of somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like every once in a while you get something like the sleeping bag against the tree that makes it all worthwhile. And, exactly. And, you know, Nightmare 3, just, you know, you, you went to a lot of the bad ones just because you would appreciate the good ones that much. Yes, there is. <laughs> and good for the kids for getting stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, we got it. Like, talk to them, not to us. We're the old fogies, and you know, like, like they need something for themselves that isn't like, well, I want you to like the same thing I like too. You know, they need to get their own stuff. Like, I, they already did that. You know, there there are plenty of kids who love Marvel and Star Wars and stuff. Even if it didn't quote unquote belong to us, it belongs to them too. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now you hear people complaining about the Star Wars sequel trilogy, but give it another ten years, and then you're gonna have people finding their appreciation or sharing their experience of how they enjoyed those and what they saw in them. Yeah. Well, I've, I've talked a lot about, um, not, not on this show, but we just in, in general that, uh, Filoni did a hell of a job of rehabbing the prequels by making the clone Wars so goddamn good mm-hmm. and busting out motivations and everything with the animation mm-hmm. that he's with the Mandalorian subsection and Ahsoka and whatnot. He's, slowly laying the groundwork that makes the sequels make more sense. Yeah. Because you see the rot in the Republic in Ahsoka and you see these different things that are happening where he's setting up how the first order could happen, all this stuff that you're, it, it answers questions you didn't know you had, mm-hmm. but Filoni spent a whole hell of a lot of time thinking about it. Just the way that Feige sat around thinking, how the fuck am I going to make Avengers work? Filoni sat around saying, how do I fix this so we could tell other shit? Yeah. And he's doing it. He really is. Not, nothing's going to make me like Rise of Skywalker, but he's doing <laughs> crap where I will probably enjoy that Ray movie. Right. And and it won't be, you know, I, my questions won't be, what the fuck were the Knights of Ren about anyway? Right. Uh, he may answer that. <laughs> before right, we get yeah, there. this is true. This is yeah, true. you may have provided a suitable explanation before all this shit happens. That gotcha. You know, by the time it's like, oh well, doesn't make me like that movie anymore, but it makes sense now. Right. Somehow my enjoyment has increased. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, we got to Star Wars from the McMartin trials, so uh, <laughs> so that's what we do. But um, Jedi, Jedi wrapped up. Something else needed to happen. There we go. Um, so, all right, that'll do it for this installment of Products of Panic. Troy, thanks for teaming up twice here, once in the, each of the last months, and we'll hopefully, at the start of the year again, get back to doing another one of these. We'll, we'll figure it out because um, yeah. I really like doing these. Um, so uh, where, where can people keep up with you in the meantime? SaturdayEveningPost.com. The mm-hmm. Saturday Evening Post magazine as well. Uh, which you can get there. And uh, I'll also plug uh, Tidal Wave Comics. I've got a few things right there, like episodes of The Midnight Witch, and um, I've got a uh, The Legend of Isis uh, miniseries coming out in the near future. 
uh, we're working. It's a four issue mini. We are in progress on issue three right now. So the first issue will probably be solicited pretty soon. Ah. Um, so just keep an eye out for that. Gotcha. All right. I'm on the socials at Brand4KHD. You can find more out about PopCon, which I'm part of at popcon.us. Look me up on the live podcast stage or podcast awards. Um, I'm also now, I'm going to be taking a little bit of time off here of the podcast because I need a break. It's been a long uh, September and uh, October for me. uh, And I just need a little, I need to recharge a bit here. Uh, but you'll probably, in this meantime, while I say, oh, I'm too good a break, you're probably going to get more stuff because I've got my Doctoberfest 2023 coverage that will be coming to you in podcast form. Um, I was brought there to help shoot uh, for a video that they want to do, like a five-minute video that they wanted that to like showcase uh, Doctoberfest from this year's show. But... I did a lot of interviews and stuff during the, to make up that that go that are gonna go longer than the video. That's gonna pick out little bits from what I did, um, but I've got a lot of interviews with some very cool people, including Sophie Aldred, who played Ace uh, for the Seventh Doctor. Uh, so you'll want to hear that. Um, very cool. Uh, there's some other cool people that you'll want to hear uh, me talking to as well. They're fluffy interviews, but they're cool. They, I mean, a lot of these people, you don't know who they are. So uh, <laughs> one, one guy's got like the second largest Doctor Who collection in North America. Um, and then I've got a prop collector that's got stuff. Like I actually got to, to, to like see Sonic Screwdriver held by David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston. Nice. And, and one by Jody Whitaker. That's super nerd shit. But you get to hear all of it um, when that releases. I'm I'm sure this month. And hey, it's the 60th anniversary, so why not? Uh, also, always the YouTube channel where you can find my Blu-ray stuff. Um, so that's always got stuff that's not here on the podcast feed. So check that out if you haven't already. You don't. I don't care if you subscribe. You can do that if you want to keep in time. But check out the videos when you can. So. Uh, until I return, which I will return, there's a series that's going to run us to the end of the year with Scott Mendelson. You're going to enjoy it. Um, yeah, uh, as I always say, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Osman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.